0: You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. I'm a DevOps dude, a course creator, and an open source maintainer in the world of container and cloud native DevOps. These episodes are edited down, audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is made possible by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all of you patrons for your continued support. It means a lot. Your podcast player should have the show notes for this episode, including links to the original show on YouTube, topics or tools we might discuss, how to support this show with Patreon, and links to get discount coupons on all my courses. You can always get those notes and links at brettfisher.com. In this episode, I'm joined by my friend and fellow Docker captain, Brian Christner, who is the chief online gaming For Grand Casino Baden, or you might know it by jackpots.ch. Both of us have been consultants on and off throughout our careers and also in positions where we need to hire other engineers, often other DevOps engineers. That gives us perspective on the different types of DevOps roles and the various jobs that they need to fill. We thought it would be helpful to have a show where we bring our experience to bear on DevOps jobs and what the most essential and in demand skills are that we're seeing throughout our worldview. We also took a lot of questions from the live audience. So hopefully you'll find this conversation plus a little bit of Q and A useful. Please enjoy this episode with Brian Christner of jackpots.ch. Hello, welcome to the show internet. My name is Brett. Welcome my friend Brian back to the show. We actually saw each other in the real world last, a little over a month ago in Switzerland. Thanks for being here. That's true. Thanks, Brett, for having me. Now, if you haven't seen Brian on the f- show before, let me just break it down. So, Brian Christner, Docker captain, chief online gaming of Grand Casino Baden? Baden? Is it Baden? Baden. Baden. Yeah, close enough. Biden. And he basically runs jackpots.ch. So he's not just a DevOps engineer now, but also an executive doing all the hard work. And he deals with all this hiring and firing and job prospects and all that stuff. Plus, we're both avid career. like We're always improving our career. We're always learning. That's what I love about Brian. So I thought, let's have a show about it. And Brian actually came up, I think, with the idea originally. It was five things you could do in your career or five topics we could talk about to improve your career, whether you're getting into DevOps, whether you're improving your DevOps career, whether you want to jump to maybe like some sort of manager of engineers, all the things, right? So let's get to it. First, let's just talk real quick, Brian. You've got stuff on the internet. So tell me about you got podcasts, you got blog. Tell tell the people what you do.
1: (laughs) Sure. Okay. So thank you, Brett. Yeah, I'm Brian Christer, and I have my blog out there, BrianChrister.io, and it's my rants about Docker and just different technologies that I'm working on at the time or interests that I'm having currently. Also, I have the Byte.io, and it's my online training platform. It has a traffic course and a VS Code course out there. And of course, everybody that's watching this episode also gets a discount to this course. Traffic fifty is the discount code. And I'm also doing an accelerator or essentially advising as well, or coaching for startups. And I'm looking to assist startups that are trying to get started building their product. And I'm really involved in this whole process, trying to kind of set the guardrails and help you choose technologies and really design your product from the ground up. And I'm really interesting. It's really a lot of fun. I've worked on some NFT projects as well as some SEO and some marketing type projects as well it's been a lot of fun and I want to continue doing it. And I just really enjoy helping people. So that's part of my passion is just helping the community continue learning and continue evolving. That's really where I'm at. And yeah, of course, I'm also, my full-time job is I'm chief online gaming for Jackpots. So I am responsible for the day-to-day of jackpots.ch, our online casino, where we run a very large Kubernetes cluster.
0: Ooh, that could be a topic. I didn't think about that one. Yeah. So that's, I was going to bring up actually. The jackpots. I mean, we could talk, we could have a whole show about technology and, you know, regulated industries and all that stuff. You and I actually hung out and we talked about a lot of these topics in Lucerne. It was a great evening there hanging out and, and then your razor broke. So, you know, shortly after (laughs) this, we look like brothers. We got the same, similar glasses. But yeah, so basically they use Kubernetes. You have DevOps teams or DevOps individuals that help you all run a lot of this stuff. And we're not this, that this topic isn't to get focused on the technology necessarily, but more about the human side of this. So we always get the questions around to certify or not certify. I'd love to get Brian's take on that in a minute. We, we often talk about, Like we get common questions on how do i get into it do i need to know programming like there's all sorts of those topics and otherwise we're going to continue with the five so first off let's just get that question out of the way because someone's going to ask it Uh, as someone who hires what do you see certifications as essential optional
1: you know it depends on the job i would say i mean obviously if you're hiring them to be a specific role it'd be good if they had the certification for that specific topic i mean if they're a generalist I mean, we would definitely hire somebody that doesn't have certifications and enable them to get certifications after the fact. But it's always good to see that you're either using the technology yourself, you're playing around with the free tiers, or you're actually currently engaged in learning the topic. That's always great to see on a resume or a CV, because we want to see that you're a self-starter, you want to learn and you're kind of communicating that. And I'm always, what's something that's very interesting for me is I always ask, what's your pet project? What are you actually working on right now? And I want to see like your GitHub, what kind of personal stuff are you building? But not on your CV. I want to see like what drives you? What's your passion? And sometimes it could be totally just random building a, something from like music collection or whatever. And that's yeah. really where you get really interesting feedback from like candidates. It's like, what are they building currently their stack? If you can build your current stack, red, what would it be? So, I mean, that that's yeah. the kind of question I would ask. Like, What would you build if you had to start today with a product? How would you build it?
0: Yeah, it's funny that you, you focused it on that because that's been a tactic of mine to talk about, tell me about your home lab setup. I mean, this is maybe, a little dated because now everything is just you know it's a bunch of websites <laughs> but back when we were kind of forced to do physical hardware right like a lot of us would have a cisco router like a cheap one we found on ebay that was an old version and we'd have like a server or some old pc that we'd put a server on and we had to build home labs because we didn't have all these great services we didn't have the cloud 15 years ago so often i would ask that question way back then was something like tell me about your home lab and Usually people's, the right candidates, are the, my favorite candidates are the uh, ones that light up, right? Like when you talk about exactly. how do you learn, what are you learning right now? Show me what you're building, like all those questions that hopefully that engages someone's passion and you can sort of see them light up and see what, if their answer is, I don't really do anything. I wait for an employer to send me to a conference exactly. so I it's can learn, I've heard that answer, that right. <laughs> I've heard that answer and that person doesn't typically make it to the next part of the, the next interview, because they, but it,
1: exactly. It's like, yeah. what's your passion? What lights this person up? That's what interests me because then it shows oh, they're interested to learn or they want to build something or you kind of go with their passion and understand what they're uh, trying to build, because sometimes. You get ideas from what they're building because they're using something completely different from your stack. And you get an idea, wow, that's great. It's thinking outside the box, building something totally different. And that's really important for me.
0: Yeah, that's like a a key attribute, I think, of engineers and anyone in software teams nowadays. I think I often talk about that. I focus on hiring someone that shares rather than how much they know, how much they share. I think that's the thing that I talk about because knowing is only temporary. Like... You may know you may know Docker Swarm, but Kubernetes showed up. So that, or you may know Docker, but Container D is now the runtime of Docker, or whatever. Or You may know AWS, yeah. but now the company is switching to Google Cloud. So whatever tool you might know is kind of a temporary thing for us in in tech. We're not plumbers where the same way we built them ten years ago is the same way we build them now, right?
1: You're absolutely right. I mean, ten, fifteen years ago, we were like, guaranteed this technology will be here the next five years, right? And now it's like, you have to be adaptable and agile and be able to move with the trends and go, okay, that's where the technology is going. I need to learn this coming up next, right? Whatever it is, the new cloud native stack or whatever it is, we need to be really keep our eyes open and see what's out there to make our jobs easier, reduce costs, reduce time to market, you know, all these things that remain competitive. Because yeah. as a human species, we're trying to always evolve and try to be better. And how do we do that? Sometimes with tools, sometimes with new technologies.
0: Yeah. The first on your list, by the way, is not anything like this. So we're <laughs> I had a feeling we were gonna make a list out of five and turn it into 20. But the first on your list that you sent me, which this is a pretty good list, is talking about clouds. And when mm-hmm. you interview candidates or when you're thinking about candidates, what are you like what are you expecting around clouds? Obviously we all use different clouds, some are hybrid. And I'm obviously there are a few that are not yet cloud yet, but I'm just gonna say for the sake of argument that all of us all these jobs require some sort of cloud experience. So how do you approach that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you should pick one of the top three big three clouds, right? I mean, there's hundreds of cloud options out there, obviously, but if you understand the principles of Amazon or Google or Microsoft, a lot of the same concepts are used at different clouds. So once you understand how the infrastructure, all the plumbing works and you know how to deploy, You start building on top of it and start understanding serverless. Serverless kind of works the same, the different clouds and their database as a service. And how do you start gluing all these things together? Now, obviously they get very opinionated per cloud, and that's why you really needed to make the choice. And I would say like Amazon, they have amazing documentation they're super developer friendly, and it's easy to get started playing with free tiers and things like that. Google's another great example. I mean. It's a bit more challenging to get started with Google. Cause I mean, you're really on your own. There's like less information out there compared to Amazon, but it's still a great cloud. There's just lots of information, a lot of tools. And that's the thing. I really encourage people to like pick a cloud, pick a cloud and just become end to end, very robust with this technology and then pick a second cloud and go, okay, I want to go to just ocean or Microsoft or Alibaba. I don't know which cloud, Al- Alic cloud. And then try to see how you can work with the two clouds. Because I mean, most organizations say, it, Brett, are using multiple clouds. And I'm sure in the future, it'll continue this way as more and more clouds keep popping up or SaaS platforms running or whatever. And you just have to help, you have to know the concept and how to glue these clouds together, make hybrid clouds. And then maybe sometime in the future where it's like seamless, you can move your container between the clouds without doing much, but we're not there yet, right? Yeah. It's getting better, but I mean, if you talk to any management, they're always like, oh, I want the hybrid cloud. I want to shift my workload from one cloud to the other and reduce costs. I mean, that sounds great and all, but realistically, how many people are actually doing that? So yeah. that's where everybody wants to go. We're just not there yet.
0: Yeah. I've seen multiple organizations this year and well, I, starting last year that one of, their, and one of the interesting strategies I've seen is like they'll have production on AWS, but the developers have accounts for all their I would say dev environments toying around, not even like official test staging. They'll do all that in like Google, right? They'll, mm-hmm. So like the developers are playing around and doing stuff in GCP where they can't possibly affect anything in production because they have no access to the Amazon stuff. And yeah. I never really think of multi-cloud as that scenario, but it's interesting that I think that I have just read recently in some report, I think it was the JetBrains like software status report or whatever, survey of thousands and thousands of people. And they were sort of, you know, AWS is the big one. Everybody, there's majority of companies are using that. GCP tends to be more for startups and smaller companies and Microsoft fits somewhere in the middle, maybe a little bit more government regulation. And that's when I talk to people, I'm often talking about, well, if you're trying to get a job, probably just default to AWS. If if you don't have an opinion, just go with AWS. It's probably going to have the most reach but if you know you want to try to get in small companies, if you want to maybe be closer to Silicon Valley startup world, that kind of thing, you might want to lean towards Google and, you know, Microsoft sort of somewhere in the middle. If you come for the Microsoft background, that might be a cloud that just appeals to you better. I have clients on all three. So like exactly. literally they have I mean, all three, but like I have clients, different clients and they have different setups. So it's hard for me to ever recommend one, but I tend to recommend AWS by default.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. You need to pick one where you understand how it works from like end to end. And once you understand one cloud, then the other ones are much easier to understand, right, because the plumbing is roughly the same. Terraform works the same on them. I mean, a little bit differences here and there, but ideally you can do the same things to the same different clouds. Now I'm actually a fan of DigitalOcean as well. I love just spinning up a droplet with a Docker and just be up and running like 10 seconds, whereas Amazon or Google, Microsoft, you have to like build the VPCs and all that get all crazy with uh, everything. And man, sometimes I just want to spin something up quickly
0: just to test it. I'm the same person. I With DigitalOcean, I have a couple of aliases that are simple little DigitalOcean commands that one just spins up a Kubernetes cluster with a single command. One spins up uh, an instance with Docker running in it with a single command. Yeah, it's. I mean, obviously you can do that eventually on the other platforms, but yeah, you, you for, can't for sure. I mean, Digital Ocean DigitalOcean, Linode. Yeah, those kind of... I things. mean, if you wanted to deploy like a
1: full Rancher stack, it's like a single line of code with Terraform and you can have like the whole Rancher running. I mean, it's super simple. But I mean, obviously it's not production ready, but yeah, you can get close.
0: So your advice on this would then be okay. If you don't have one start with it, let's just meld our opinions together. Start with AWS, mm-hmm. probably should get some sort of cert. If I'm looking for someone who's going to be heavy in a cloud, I'm always going to prefer some, I would prefer you to have the sort certifi- a certification in AWS, ideally something that's DevOps oriented, but you don't have to, I mean, if you've been doing AWS DevOps style work for five years, I'm probably going to be okay without the search exactly. I know you have it. Yeah.
1: Getting into IT or into DevOps generally, then I mean, I would recommend like a solution architect, certification. Cause that's a good generalist type of situation or a certification for Amazon really explains all the different services, how they glue together, security concepts, and you can really easily build on top of this.
0: Yeah. I do tend to find, it's interesting about DevOps roles, with, this is a little bit of a tangent, but those of us that have been doing things around this word DevOps for a decade now or more, like it's tough to nail down what the job is and what it isn't and what job role. So often people will come and say like, do I need this for DevOps and do I need that and whatnot? And so we're gonna be listing five things here. Obviously cloud is, it's a, it's kind of assumed. I think everyone assumes if you're saying you're in the DevOps world, that you know some cloud good enough that you could spin up Kubernetes apps. You could spin up some instances yep. and connect them to a database. You could put in a load balancer and create fault tolerance and lock down the security and do backups and things like that. Right. But mm-hmm. beyond that with DevOps, I often find that you mentioned architect and i find that people tend to lean on you a little bit more software engineers, operators, maybe tend to lean on mm-hmm. you a little more for your opinions around architecture. So I'm glad you mentioned the architecture part because A lot of times there will be like a senior engineer in a team, a pure software engineer, and they're architecting the app. So they're thinking about the different parts, pieces, and parts of the app, but they may not be such an expert on a cloud or SaaS services or PaaS services or whatever that Uh they can architect that in a sort of modern cloud-native way. And those of us that are plugged into the cloud-native ecosystem tend to have a pretty good awareness of all that. So I... I don't know if this is true for you. Do you see that Or you're definitely a part of the architecture, architecture conversation?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, architect's kind of a strange word because obviously you can be a solution architect, but you don't know anything about the application. It's right. really like a, two different camps are, and I think we need to bring this back together so somebody has a single hat and says, okay, this is how we build the architecture from the infrastructure back up and that's DevOps, right? <laughs> that's how we yeah, yeah. glue the two worlds together and the best phrase for DevOps is really enablers. You're enabling the organization, you're enabling developers to build your app and build the infrastructure correct. And that's really the end goal for De- DevOps is being an enabler for the organization.
0: Yeah, I, I often talk to people about my role in DevOps is to be replaceable. Like I want okay. to document and automate everything. I want to infrastructures code everything so that when I leave, the only the, the thing that I left behind is this Hopefully, wonderfully, ar- wonderfully architected, documented, right, discoverable thing that people can just consume, and that the word I've noticed on Twitter lately is that people are starting to talk about platform engineering as like this uh-huh. evolution of what we think of as DevOps, but. I would argue DevOps is wider than just building a platform for devs, but it's definitely one of our core yeah, yeah, activities to is call. to give them a service so they can get their job done without needing to bug us five times a day to approve things or to configure things or whatever. Yeah. yeah.
1: I mean, speaking of automating yourself out of the job, I don't know if you've ever seen this joke where the guys, I think there's like a Linux engineer and i have to provide it to you so you can put it in the show notes. His GitHub account is legit, but he automated everything in his job. I mean, if he's not logged in at his desk, it automatically sends a, a mail to his boss, type of thing. If he's still at his desk at six o'clock, it sends a mail to his wife. The coffee <laughs> machine is automated for five minutes from the time he walks from his desk to the coffee machine; it's already all warmed up. But yeah, it's really we should be trying to automate ourselves out of a job. And so far, I mean, we've been successful in not being able to do that. So I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I mean, uh, we're trying. We that's our goal, but it takes a lot, a lot of effort to really
0: automate everything. I feel like that's, I mean, we've talked about learning. That's a key aspect. We've talked about cloud. That's a key aspect, I think, of sort of the DevOps. Obviously, getting, I would advocate for traditional DevOps training. There's a great mm-hmm. LinkedIn course. I mentioned, I recommend it all the time if you just look up. Someone always puts it in the chat. I think it's called DevOps Foundations, possibly. And it's done by two LinkedIn. guys, I think, out of yeah. Austin. Yeah, and it's on LinkedIn Learning They have like one of the original DevOps days down there and they run that conference, made a great course, high production value. And it focuses Mm -hmm. less on the tools and much more on the processes and the why. Mm -hmm. Like, why are we doing this? What is it to the organization? And I always appreciate a DevOps engineer. And this kind of gets into the soft skills area. So we're kind of skipping ahead a little bit, but soft skills, of course, is a nebulous topic. But Mm -hmm. maybe when you look at like a senior DevOps person, are you looking more for someone who cares more about the organization and the outcomes and measuring and all that?
1: Senior DevOps, they should be wearing multiple hats, right? They should be also kind of encouraging the juniors to like learn new technologies, really get up to speed and enabling them to start being self-sufficient on certain things. But at the same time, they need to be the critical thinkers. They need to be the protectors of their environment and say, no, they really need to say, put their foot down and say, you know, it's nice, but we're not gonna, you know? And they also need to be realistic and also time management. Time management is like critical. You can't just say all the time, like, uh, yeah, we could do it. And you always miss your deadline. You have to be realistic. You have to be realistic with your timelines and time management. And as a senior, you need to protect your peers and your team because obviously teamwork makes the dream work, right? As we always say. So we want to make sure that the senior is in a great position that can enable his peers in the development team, as well as continue the organization further, bringing the level up where it currently is. And that's really bringing their experience with them and also the people skills, the collaboration. And like I said, they should be also be able to say no, they should. It's, people always think of no as like a negative, but I really say I come up with some crazy idea and somebody should say no, that's not possible at the current stage, or we should rethink of it and try to go left or right because Many people, it's hard for them to say no. And I think a senior is someone that should be able to say no and able to like really justify why, or go a different route based on this answer. And they should also be a problem solver, a listener. A listener is very important because obviously if you're talking all the time, you can't listen. So you really need to listen to the developers and the infrastructure team, understand requirements, and then translate them into actually into DevOps, into your actual role. And that's really important because a lot of people can really do well in writing code, but they can't translate from the requirement to the code. And that's something that the senior helps the team achieve.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of stuff to that role, and one of the things about soft skills that's so hard to quantify them, right? And it's hard to interview for them. It's hard to test for them. So, is there anything there that someone can? Have you seen resources or courses, or, I mean, you and I were just talking about Laura Taco's sort of engineering management. It's more generic than DevOps, more about engineering management, but for those that Mm -hmm. I'm just going to pimp her stuff out right now, Uh, (laughs) I'll find the course. She's amazing,
1: has a great email newsletter. I mean, it's worth signing up to this newsletter and just reading the content because she does a really amazing job. But... Back to your question about soft skills, how do you measure it and how do you do different things? I mean, when I was working with Dara at 56K, we actually worked with people on Slack or teams first before we ever brought them into the office and worked with them collaborating already on a project really beforehand and understanding, Hey, this person can really communicate well via chat and documents well in the code, et cetera. And we already know that, okay, this person is able to do these things. And that really, really helps. And I think being able, being around other people that do that kind of brings your collaboration level up as well. If you have an organization that no one chats and no one like shares information, then you become that person as well, right? You like kind of adapt uh, the culture.
0: So we have some questions here. I want to get those done while we're on our path here. We've got several other topics we want to get through in the hour. Can you please mention some projects for beginner DevOps engineers to practice multiple skills? That's a great. I'm gonna, I was, I'm gonna. I'm gonna put. I you don't know the who to plug.
1: Who should <laughs> I, I plug here? <laughs> I mean, there's some great courses out there. I mean, anyway, yeah. actually, Brett Fisher, I have to say, your courses are great. You have some great starter courses. Docker has some great DevOps courses. As you mentioned I have never viewed this LinkedIn training you mentioned earlier. That might be something as well. But there's a lot of free content out there. I also recommend just going out to GitHub and finding some amazing projects and following them and understanding how they're developing, how they're building the tools and kind of clone the project or follow the project to understand how it's doing. But there's so many free resources out there that you can use today. And I'm sure Brett has an amazing repo somewhere that just explains (laughs) everything.
0: I don't have anything that lists all of the sample projects. So what I would say is... Actually, take
1: that back. I do, it's the awesome Docker list. Okay. It's a GitHub repo, and it's the awesome Docker list. And in this list, it's everything Docker, since we're talking about Docker. But in there is also like all the starter projects. It's all the it's information the to stuff. get started. Yeah, yeah, VeggieMonk, awesome Docker. And it is in GitHub repo, so anybody can contribute to it. There's a lot of Docker content in there, but there's a lot of DevOps topics in there. There's a lot of like cloud topics. And actually, any of these awesome lists, it's actually like a... Another project that's on GitHub is Awesome Lists, and then you can find the topic. For example, I'm sure there's an awesome DevOps topic out there somewhere. And in this repo, then there's all the projects for DevOps, all the tools, all the classes, all the starter projects. And that's where I really go. Because I mean, it's something that's kind of vetted. Everybody kind of like checks the links and they always pull, do a pull request if they see something broken or it's like a paid for service, they had like little dollar sign next to the project that people know that it's open source or it's paid for. And I really recommend these because if you find something, put it out there, if not just utilize it, star it, share it. And I'm also a maintainer of awesome Docker. So I have to plug that as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, but. I'm looking for the awesome DevOps stuff. I'm seeing some with like up to one K and, and stars, but nothing that's clearly obvious the leader in this space. But yeah, for those that didn't know, like on GitHub, Awesome lists or awesome collections. The word awesome is used often to describe a curated list of top things on a topic. And so if you just kind of Google or go to GitHub and look up awesome, whatever the thing is, you'll probably find that. And go to
1: awesome lists. And then on the actual repo of awesome lists is all the contents. And then it like breaks down. If you want to do machine learning, if you want to do DevOps, if you want to do cloud, it's all the topics out there. And I have to say that most of these lists are maintained quite well.
0: Oh, oh, okay. Okay. Now I'm see, I am see what you're saying here. So this repo has, t- I've never seen 222,000 yes. stars on a repo. <laughs> I don't think that's yeah, the I mean, highest number I've ever seen. Okay. So this insane. is the list of lists. This
1: is the list of lists. And this is the list of all lists. So if you keep scrolling down, then you see there's like content section at the very bottom. And now you see like platforms. If you want to know everything about platforms or whatever, databases, you Click in there, and then it shows you all the lists for specific topics, and you can just keep driving, dialing, and then yeah, like I, I think the Docker list alone has like I don't know twenty thousand links or something crazy in it, and yeah, uh, wow, it's very intuitive, and there's tons of great content out there, and the communities around these lists as well will help you strive, and of
0: course, Brett
1: Fisher, you're also in the Docker list, I'm sure.
0: Hopefully I'm somewhere in there. I actually don't know. I'm thinking, geez, I'm not really great at marketing. So I probably didn't put myself on the list. The realm of DevOps is so vast and wide. It's hard to narrow down a particular project or a particular set of skills that you must have. That's what we're trying to do here. But the reality is that the word DevOps in a title or in a job, sometimes it don't it doesn't even have the word DevOps in it, but it's a software job that definitely has aspects of DevOps in it. In fact, modern organizations like to, that that don't just have a DevOps team, but DevOps is a lot of us like to think of as a job role for lots of different mm-hmm. people that are in lots of different areas. But when you look at this sort of DevOps title, like someone has that in their title, there tends to be some of these common aspects. And I would say that those usually start with the software engineers commit into mm-hmm. a Git repo or a software repo, They someone committed software it starts there and then it ends with things have deployed to production and they're working.
1: <laughs> yep, <laughs> wow, that's mo- a big- uh,
0: <laughs> It's a big area.
1: So- Spectrum, I would say. It's,
0: <laughs> it's it, it, yeah, it has to do with building your software, testing your software, linting, automate tons of automation. So learning yep. automation tools is key. That's been my big thing this year is teaching people, talking about GitHub Actions, teaching people, because I believe that platform. I actually saw a statistic that they're now like they're number two behind Jenkins in terms of a, the survey. I think it was the JetBrain mm-hmm. survey. And that was 2021. They don't have the 2022 out yet. So last year, Jenkins was still the, I'm just going to call them automation platforms. No, they are technically yeah. sometimes called CI platforms or CI CD platforms, but I'm just going to label them all as automation. Jenkins. Well, they've was grown still so one. far
1: beyond that, right? I yeah. mean, they started that way. And now you can do like security, you can integrate yeah. to your. Kubernetes cluster, you can do all these crazy things. I mean, they have their own container registries now. I mean,
0: there's a lot of it. Yeah, there's multiple facets to them all and they all have edge cases or rough areas and things that are smoother in one, but not in another. So I definitely advocate learning one of those tools. It's not on your list. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, no, we did, it is on your list, CICD and automation. So good
1: job. We skipped over (laughs) observability. We skipped over- You have to observe observability.
0: Yeah. So we'll get to observability, but last, I think that that's probably the hardest to talk about and define just because it, I, I don't know. I feel like it's the one that we're the least good at in general as an industry. That's
1: true. But I mean, that, that's why I put it third in the list. Right? So soft skills, cloud, and observability. And the reason mm. I put it third. Also oh, can rank. Do you have
0: these ranked? Are these like in I have order it ranked a ranked in
1: my head and there's okay. a whole reason that I have it ranked as I do. And observability is, we need to understand why, and I'm a huge observability freak. I love data. I love analytics. I love just predictive analytics. I mean, anything with data, I'm just really interested in observability. It's all about measure, change, measure, right? And it's super important that we have a baseline first. We make the change we measure it. That's why we was a measure, change, measure. And that's why I put observability first before CICD. Because we want to know what's running first. We want to see if we're actually improving our infrastructure, our DevOps pipeline, our automation. I mean, if we just start deploying code and saying, "Ah, oh, yeah, it's great, we're really doing well. I mean, what's telling you you're doing well? Do you have any like statistics or KPI that's telling you actually you're faster? Or actually is your DevOps pipeline slower than you were before your manual way? So that's why I always throw Observability in there because it's all about having a clear view of what's going on, some sort of dashboard that really tells you, okay, this is how much performance I have and these armor KPIs and everybody thinks dashboards I' want so I want to show you like the my CPU is running at eighty percent. I have zero interest that your CPU is running at 80 percent. I want to know like the server rooms on fire. I want to know if there's an issue somewhere. I want to know these type of things. If your CPU is at 80%, don't show that, show that to me really. And, and that's why observability, it ties into CICD because you wanna know, are you being efficient? Are you making improvements that you can actually measure? That's really important, right? Because by feel, it always feels fast. But, but if you don't have any data behind it and you don't know how fast you're actually moving. And that's why I really advocate for observability as something everyone should learn because you should be incorporating this anyway into your DevOps pipelines because you should know what your application is doing, your infrastructure. And just generally, I mean, observability is not just DevOps or cloud. It's everything you can measure. I mean, the temperature in your house, if you want to, it's you can take it how far you want to go. I mean, I used to observe my mountain bike crashes and skills, that type of thing, but that's why I want to get into this topic because I really am passionate about that people should learn what's actually running, make a baseline, make a change, measure again. And that's why. I ranked observability before C S C D. Nice. I know it's my rant for today. I'm getting off my box.
0: <laughs> well, no, that's good because I think I mean to me, that's kind of one of the things that distinguishes the difference between a junior DevOps skill set and a senior DevOps skill set is like a junior, I'm usually looking for someone to understand basic automation, some of the core tools, and be able to solve problems. But mm-hmm to understand the entire architecture of the system and to look at that holistically and then create, like you're talking about monitoring dashboards, Kibana dashboards, whatever you're using, that that help my team raise the visibility and help the team make decisions and understand, are things better, are things worse, are things fine? Instead of spending all their time confused, like you say, staring at CPU stats and confused by why things aren't working, that exactly. me, the higher level person, understands they kind of go, they go deeper and they go wider in their skill set. And so, like a junior DevOps might know one cloud, a senior might know all three clouds a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. there, there's a, certainly a, skill, a technical skill set. But I typically am looking to my seniors as advising on where we should take this platform next so that we're basically reducing toil right? That's a big thing exactly. in DevOps is to reduce the manual work and toil and then enabling others, like doing everything, finding where the pain points are for the other teams, caring about them enough that you want to fix their pain points by automating it through various DevOps tools or whatever. Yeah. and That's a little- also
1: like, a, I guess, a got you by observability. I see a lot of people I actually walked into like a lot of server rooms or different op centers and you see just a wall of dashboards. And you're like, you know, the server's on fire, right? There's no dashboard up there that shows right. that the server is actually burning in the back room. And that's the thing is like people get overwhelmed or get a bit carried away with dashboard creating because it's cool. It's fun. You get a bunch of colors and movie graphs. Yeah. Everybody likes it. Go for the actionable information and make sure you just build dashboards. That make sense. I mean, for example, do your customers care that the CPU is running 80% or the end user of your product? They want to know if they can log in. They want to know if the actual software that they're using is slow or unperforming. And that's what they're concerned about. They want to know, Hey, can I log in? Can I check my whatever? Can I play my game? That's what they're concerned about. And that's what we should be actually measuring first. We want to know before the customer that there's an issue. And then we start rolling back from this point, how to measure the infrastructure and how to start measuring services that are critical to the customer. And really put on the customer's hat and think about it from that aspect first. Then, only then you start looking at how do I start monitoring the infrastructure and start building out the infrastructure monitoring that way. Because many people forget about the customer. Many people forget to, to monitor just the basics. Is the website on type of thing? And that's very critical, right? I mean, you lose business right away if your website's not on. And we should be monitoring that and seeing that before we get like the hate mail or the tweet or whatever saying that your website's offline. And that's why we should be proactive in these things. Yeah. Again, um, you can see I'm very passionate about observability, so that's why.
0: <laughs> well, and that's the thing is I feel like after all these years and all of the dashboards and the KPIs and all that stuff, I still feel like I'm fundamentally a junior observability engineer. Like I'm not, I'm. There there's so much to learn and so you can take it really deep, you can take it to, high levels, like you're saying, like customer-focused, user-focused, front-end stuff that, that requires more engineering time and understanding of how to dig in with your monitoring to you know give actual metrics. That's why we talk about events and metrics is mm-hmm. the primary way now. Whereas 15 years ago, we were all just, we were engineering how we could do log queries to determine status, right? Like we were all trying to figure exactly. out fancy. I was using... Paper trail, paper paper trail, these other tools that were like, the only thing they did was aggregate logs. And you would use that to to generate your stats and stuff. Whereas now we're talking more about events and metrics and things that you build into your app to really give that level of automation. But that's a separate conversation. The great question on, I wanted to ask you, please tell us the most required DevOps tools. So we've talked about cloud is there other tools that it would seem weird to you that someone doesn't know? I would say shell scripting, if they don't know anything about shell scripting, I would think that's a little, that's Yeah. I mean, shell basic... scripting
1: will that a a CICD tool kind of goes together because you have to understand yeah. how to automate CICD. So I would say really shell scripting is very important. And then obviously some sort of GitHub or GitLab. One of these yeah. two big giants you need to understand because that is an all-encompassing tool. It helps you store your repository, deploy your code, check security, automate a bunch of things, checks a bunch of boxes, right? Might not yeah. do all of a good, but it covers a huge spectrum. And many people don't realize GitHub or GitLab, they think, hey, it's just a code repository. Actually, it's a lot, lot more, right? It <laughs> yeah. covers, it has a container registry, it has security, it has all these linting, it has so much built in just by default and people just need to uncover it.
0: Yeah, I, I worked with a team last year that was had dozens and dozens of GitHub repos for years, but were ignoring the security tab. They were using separate tools like White Source and other paid tools, but they weren't even using the tools built into GitHub. And they didn't even know that it really, if it, it did exist, they didn't realize that it was already doing its thing and complaining, and they were ignoring it. You and I both share this this desire to always simplify, reduce complexity. And we do that a lot of times by using existing tools, using the... Hmm? Instead of finding another tool that might provide 10 or 20% more benefits, just use the tool you have, keep it, the tool count low. In fact, one of my rules for teams tends to be, we can never add a tool. We can only replace a tool. It has to replace at least one tool to be implemented, or it has to have some serious financial advantages for the company. Like it has to really be justified. Exactly, Um, And that comes back to
1: observability, but I mean, you saw my tweet the other day, less is more, I mean. And that's the thing, GitHub or GitLab may not do everything perfect, but it's one tool, right? It does a lot and it will remove a lot of complexity. You imagine if you have a Git repository, then you have some other program to be running the runners. Then you have another program to be security and you have like 10 different applications just to run your app and all the context switching and all the maintenance, just on this massive behemoth just to keep all this going is massive. But then if you take GitHub, for example, you're like, Everything's there, right? everything's yeah. included. I just can kind of like live with this thing that doesn't work exactly like I like, but it actually does a 90% the way I want it. It's really reducing the n- number of tools. So I've written about right. this many times, like reduce your tool set, minimize, keep it minimal, and just decide you have to marry a tool eventually, but pick a tool that covers a lot of the checks, a lot of the boxes. Right.
0: Right. So, so for the answer, we're talking about a cloud. Like let's just say the basics for a junior DevOps. You pick a cloud. I need. I want to know that you know how to deploy, monitor, and backup database. Deploy, monitor, and backup a server. Maybe a few other essential services. You know what is S three? What is the difference between their Kubernetes offering and their Fargate or whatever their other offerings for Kubernetes? Basically, all I want to know how you deploy containers, how you manage static assets. There's a thing in technology. If you're not familiar with that term, like object storage, basically for that, how do you deal with monitoring and backups? What are the basics of security? What are the basics of networking on that platform? And then we expect you to know an automation tool. So Jenkins used to be that automation tool. I would actually love it if you came and you said, if you applied for a job with one of my teams, I would say, if you came and said, yeah, I know everything about Jenkins, but I've never used GitHub. I'm not sure I I would much rather you say, you know what, I'm pretty new to automation, but I do everything I do in GitHub Actions or in another, what I would call a modern SaaS platform, and that you don't have any experience with Jenkins. I'd actually be perfectly okay with that, even if the team already had Jenkins, because I'm, most of the teams for years now, I've been looking at ways to get them off Jenkins. We're not going to go into all the reasons why, but.
1: I mean, Jenkins, Jenkins. I'll I'll get the Jenkins haters on me, but I mean, it's its own code repository. You have to like configure this thing and maintain this all these different plugins and all this, I mean, it gets really messy. Obviously, yeah. once you understand it for 10 years, you can really do well at it. But GitHub and GitLab, just do this out of the box. You don't have to maintain it. And that's, just, yeah, I find that there's huge value to it. Right. So, I mean, back to this question, like picking a tool, I guess, if we look at the whole stack, if I was going to go,
0: We didn't mention Docker, okay. by the way, like, is it essential tool. Like- <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 of course. <laughs> I would say, you know, pick a cloud, whatever cloud you want, deploy Docker, Docker Swarm, Kubernetes, whatever you want, your orchestrator of choice, and then pick up a pipeline product. So GitLab, GitHub, and then pick a container project and figure out how to deploy it, make a commit and auto deploy it to your project and just continue on improving this process over and over and over and see how you can actually do this. And once you understand this whole process, then you're like, wow, the the light bulb goes off and you're like, now I see the potential. I see how exactly devops should be run because then you see it like actually in action when you make a commit it does the builds, it does all the checks the testing deploys it to your server automatically you're like oh my god i didn't realize this was uh, what devops is and once you like unlock this feature you'll learn so much more about yourself about the technology and you'll just keep improving your skill set and i just encourage everybody getting started with devops generally i mean do it yourself i mean set up your own kubernetes cluster or docker cluster Docker swarm, whatever your orchestrator is, and start deploying just a hello world container to this project, just to get it up and ready and automate the whole process, then prove it and change the container, get a bit more complex, add a couple containers and add a start stringing more things to it, add a database and just increase in complexity until you really understand how it all works.
0: Yeah, I think yeah. that's kind of the evolution that when I take people through the courses, so links below, we both have, he has an accelerator and courses. I have courses, all links below, coupons and all that stuff. So check that stuff out in the description. But the key there is that I want to, I want to know that if I give you a software repo, so step one, you got to know Git, because you got to know how Git repos work and how to use them, what you know, what a pull request is. So you probably should learn a lot about GitHub. So I need you to know, I need you to be able to take that software repo and automate most, if not all of the pipeline and steps to get it onto a server in production. So you should mm-hmm. know at least basic server deployments, basic soft basic docker deployments, kubernetes deployments. Like you should know the basics about that and how to what are the typical things? Something I also have in my github repo is a talk I did this year about all the typical things and the steps you need to get software usually from the repo into the server. Yep. And I would kind of expect you to know how to do that. Like if I just gave you a blank, like here's a generic app uh-huh. And here's an account to Amazon. I would expect you to be able to set up some way, maybe not the way I prefer, but at least a way that that code gets tested, built into an image, stored in a registry, tested, hopefully uh-huh. smoke tested on Kubernetes, put into some staging systems, uh-huh. linted, scan for CVE vulnerabilities, all the things that we all talk about. And then I would expect you to eventually that be on a server with low effort, maybe at most a git commit or two. And so your infrastructure is code, you know, a little bit of basics of shell scripting. You maybe aren't writing shell scripts from scratch, but you at least understand basic shell commands and how to pipe things. And so there's a lot to that. I mean, that's a, that sounds really- That's
1: already a huge like prerequisite, right? And I think you have probably hit this challenge as well with your course. I mean, I wrote the course, my course on traffic, just assuming making the horrible assumption that people like already understood Docker and command line tools. And I said, eh, hey, you know, just start up the Docker container and deploy traffic. And everybody's like, well, Docker, what, what is this? I'm like, oh, so then I had to roll back a little bit, put some prerequisites in there. You need to visit Brett's course and understand Docker first. And then, you know, have some basic understanding of just shell commands, like you mentioned, and then only then you can really start playing around with automation and different things. So you need this real base layer first, that's for sure. Right.
0: Right, I always talk about getting it. go get a Network Plus, secure a certificate. Go get a Network a Network Plus, a Security Plus, a Linux Plus, or a Linux Foundation certificate on a lot of these things. Go get those certifications. If you don't feel like you could sit in a room and really talk knowledgeable about networking, you know TCP/IP, routers and switches. What's the difference? What are fire? How do firewalls work? How's a firewall different than a router? Like, if you can't describe all those concepts, if you can't talk a little bit in depth about Ethernet interfaces and subnets and all of these different concepts, you're gonna struggle in this new world of cloud, or not new, but this world of cloud native, because everything is distributed, everything talks over networking. So networking is the new sort of the language of how these things communicate. And if you don't have those fundamentals, if you don't understand what system D is in Linux, right? These are gonna be things that eventually are really gonna bite you because you're going to be doing fancy Kubernetes stuff, and then you'll have one hiccup, and you won't know what to do because you don't know how to you don't know how networks work, you don't know how servers work, and so I always hit hard on those because I mean I got my Cisco CCNA 23 years ago. I'm a little gray. I mean that thing is well way expired, right? Like. But right. the CCNA, which was is... Was that put, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to plug in a serial port back then, right? That
1: was but right got, after the I, Novell certification, right?
0: <laughs> ooh, yeah. Novell Netware, baby. I got that certification on networks and I read the TCP IP Unleashed book in the 90s. And that has served me my entire career in every job I've had. Like, I don't care if it's data center ops, if it was client system support. I used to run help desk. You know, I mean, all these jobs, networking, networking, and then understanding the OS. I don't mean... You don't have to be someone that knows how to build your own custom kernel. Like those days are maybe a little bit past. You can be a hobbyist and learn that stuff, but I don't expect my DevOps engineers or any of my software engineers to know how that works because we don't do that in the cloud anymore. Like we have distributions the same way we all don't necessarily build custom Kubernetes solutions with bespoke features. Like we all just use a cloud's version or Rancher or Tanzu or yeah. So, I expect you in those cases to know products, but if you don't understand the under, if you don't understand the cloud core concepts, you understand networking and maybe the security stuff. I add the security stuff because to me, I love it when, it, I love it, I don't know about you, when you're in that interview with a DevOps person and they drop a little knowledge bomb around security and you're like, I mean,
1: that that's Ooh. the next step. I mean, DevOps is like step one, then you go DevSecOps, mm-hmm. right? When you start mm-hmm. getting crazy. And I'm sure you've seen this graph where it's like the earlier you catch a security bug or something in testing or in development, the less cost it is to our organization and the longer it is in the organization, I mean, it's just like incrementally just really wraps up in costs, the longer it goes into production. So the sooner we can catch these things and find them, much yeah. better. And that's how we do with DevOps.
0: Yeah. I don't know about you, but if I had to pick three things that just make me giggle in an interview with someone, <laughs> I'm going to use the word giggle, but make me super happy, is when they can talk intelligently about observability, they can talk intelligently about what they've done in automation, and then mm-hmm. they th- they sprinkle in some security knowledge. Because yes. security knowledge is so inherently useful, like the networking stuff, but it's so often overlooked in our jobs, and our careers, like people... We'll skip that stuff. I went and got a SANS cert. So if those of you are looking for other certification or training opportunities, S-A-N-S, SANS. Fantastic organization for security. I'm sure there's lots of other ones out there nowadays, but I took some of their workshops twenty almost 20 years ago, and they were the best. I mean, we were learning Active Directory because it was new. That's how long ago that was. But it was some of the best training I've ever been in. And it was deep. It was technical. It went fast and it was all in the real world back then. But SANS if you're looking for like quality security stuff, they anyway, there's lots of courses out there now, but they're a great yeah. organization with certifications and they were they're respected in the industry. If you're looking for that if you're looking to go the security route, maybe like you said devsecops, maybe someone that's more security focused in the team, and I think sure. that's a gap. Like a lot of people that are trying to hire automation, modern automation after- tools,
1: security is always an afterthought, right? <laughs> they're like, yeah.
0: "Oh, yeah, but if you're coming into an interview and you've got some unique observability skills, unique automation skills that the other applicants don't have and you know some security stuff, like you've done some effort and you've maybe got a certification or you've taken at least a course, which shows to me that you care about, like you not just, I I care about security, but I'm putting my money where my mouth is and I've actually done something with security. I will love that. Like that, that tickles me when I see an interview. And it makes you stand
1: out as a candidate, yeah. right? When you have like these certain like, Specialties where you can really highlight and say, "Hey, I do have this background. Where I deployed a WAF with a Wasp and different things." Like, oh, okay, that's cool. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's great to hear these type of things.
0: Yeah, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you told me you aren't up on the last two versions of Kubernetes, I could not. I could care less. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, versions, uh, new things, like. It's fine, but these core underlining principles. So we've talked about, we haven't really covered IAC, so infrastructure as code, maybe one of the That's last true. things. It's an important and assumed essential, wouldn't you agree?
1: Yes, I would say so. I mean, once we have these first four topics out of the way, you know, get down to CI, CD, start understanding how to automate the application to production as well, that's where you're going to see the huge value from developers and also from the customers are seeing this value right away. They're seeing features being delivered much quicker. The next step is really IAC, is really version controlling your infrastructure, understanding exactly what you have and being able to reproduce it. And that's super important because as we go forward, I mean, infrastructure is, I mean, everybody says cloud is other like people's computer, but it's still out there. still the servers running somewhere. And we need to be able to version control it and understand what we have. And then it, it just helps us deploy new versions and be able to reproduce maybe for another customer, for another environment, much, much quicker. If you have this already all built. And we, I used to work on some big projects where we tear everything down and redeploy the entire infrastructure just to make sure it's all working. And it's really impressive to see here tearing down a few hundred servers and redeploying them. And you're like, oh, wow, I hope it's all going to work. But I mean, critical cool in today's world and today's market that you really know Terraform and understand infrastructure's code and get these concepts down because it will come up an in interview. I can guarantee that people will ask you, maybe it's not on the job requirement, but they're going to ask you, do you know it? Because we're considering it going in the future. Yeah, it's something that yeah. your area coming up and the more people I talk to, the more people are interested in this topic and also. Infrastructure as code, HashiCorp, these products, it's one of the skills that is, I think, growing And when you look at the tech community generally. yeah. And I can only recommend it. It's a great, great tool set. I mean, it's a whole other environment, right? It's, you have DevOps, but then you go IAC. It's a totally different fish to fry.
0: And one thing is, I want to point out here, too, is that I don't want anyone to feel pressured that they have to know all these tools well. Because I, myself, I mean, I'm a, technically a DevOps consultant that rarely uses Ansible. Not because it's not in every team I work with. Like every team has some, that I've worked with of more than one person, has some Terraform, has some Ansible, has some shell scripting, has an automation Mm -hmm. platform. You know, they're hosting Kubernetes somewhere. They've learned how to automate builds and deploy containers and all that stuff, but it doesn't mean that one person knows all those things. And so if you're a solo DevOps, I sympathize for you. And let me know if you're the only person that does this and maybe we can come up with a show that's like solo DevOps and like what the bare minimum, right? But I mean, I myself have used Terraform for a long time but I still consider myself an amateur because I'm mostly just hacking together previous examples I've used. I have maybe templates that I've created that are pretty generic for one job, and then I just reuse those for another job or something. And it's more important to me that you know when you should use a tool and the basics of a tool rather than every possible feature of a tool, especially when we're talking about these kind of, because you can go really deep, right? You can jump onto Pulumi, you can jump onto all these new tools. But if you know some basic Terraform, if you know how to deploy servers or a Kubernetes cluster with Terraform, and you know how to get software on a server with Ansible and update that software, and you understand the principles of why these tools are necessary, that's what's mm-hmm. really important to me, is that you know why, right? The why- And being why able
1: to ch- challenge the whys, right? Do we really need to implement infrastructure code in our current configuration or our current infrastructure? Yes or no? These are really important questions. And yeah, the other question I'll throw out there just for the DevOps crowd is really a lot of people choose either to be a generalist, know all these topics that we discussed today, or really say, "Hey, I know you know all these topics, but I'm really good in Terraform, for example, and I really specialize in Terraform, but I can also do ci I can do all these other things as well." So yeah, it's really great to have a great perspective, but you should also make a decision. Do I want to be a journalist and just know a little bit of everything? Or do I want to deep dive and go right into like CICD or Terraform or something like, one of these topics and yeah. that's something only you will be able to decide for yourself. I mean, there are values in your organization. There's certain skills required in your area, probably, or remotely that are more sought after than others. And that's the thing. You need to find out what you also are interested in. What's your passion? Do you like infrastructure? Do you like applications more? Do you like these type of things? Do you like security? And really kind of follow this and enable yourself to learn more about this topic. And that's, I think Brett can also say this as well, As I found my early passion around containers. When I first found containers, I just lost my mind. and went deep dive into containers and I just containerized everything, right? And it was really a passion of mine and it really became contagious in the organization because I was telling everybody about containers. And if, if yeah. you can find LAPIC, whatever it is, and if you com- become passionate about it and you can like sell the organization on whatever tool or topic, then you found your passion, right? And it's really that way. And that's what I found with Docker is I, I found that very early on. I was trying to convince my wife to use Docker, even though I mean, she's never even seen a Linux terminal before. So I was selling to everybody I could. And I think that's the way you find your passion.
0: Yeah, you, I mean, we joke about in DevOps that a lot of times our motivation is that we're lazy (laughs) because automation is one way to reduce the repetitive tasks. And if you get tired of doing repetitive tasks or making things i like to look at it nowadays because people say i'm good at automation because i'm lazy because it actually takes effort i think to learn automation and to implement especially if you're rather new in a a tool or a platform or whatever finding things to automate and how to automate them the way that you would normally do them as a human can be i I don't want to make light of that because that can be hard the thing that i want we're sort of evolving to is that i always try to look at the rest of the team and i think this is maybe a more modern devops thought process is I want to enable others to do their work without needing me. And we mentioned Mm -hmm. that earlier. So when you automate and when you think about what things should I work on, what, you know, okay, now I got the servers up. I I now have code going to production relatively simple with the, the least amount of human involvement as possible. What's next? Well, I tend to look at the teams and I actually will have meetings where I'll say, okay, everyone, what do you hate about your job in every week? Like what do you, what are your tasking that you just can't stand? And, A lot of times you'll find that it's the data, like the stuff that they have to do all the time. Normal events, like we we ship code. It's a normal thing and it takes a lot of effort to do. Why do we, you know, that's why a lot of us are focused on that pipeline is to simplify that so that changing code that goes to production is not a monumental task. If you haven't done that yet, focus on that. It's probably the biggest bang for your buck in terms of getting your time back, benefiting your teams. Sorry, that was a little bit of a tangent. We have a similar question I want to give you. I want to ask the same question again. What level of expertise should DevOps engineers need to have in cloud? Are cloud certifications mandatory? So I guess we're specifically talking about a DevOps person's cloud skill set.
1: Yeah, I think we touched on this a bit earlier, but it's really, you know, you you should have a a general understanding how the cloud works. And we should pick a cloud and we mentioned earlier, AWS, as an example, really understand from the very plumbing of the cloud all the way to like a platform as a service and really understand the full stack, how it works, the networking, how the components glued together and really have a great understanding how to deploy, you know, an EC2 instance with security groups and get all of the rules set up correctly and get it all deployed, production ready, and that would be a very general thing to learn because once you understand that, like, like we mentioned before, you understand like Amazon, how it works, Microsoft and Google become much easier because the concept is relatively same, just the services change and yeah, focus on a cloud, get to know it very well, become intimate with this cloud and deploy, go through all the free tiers, deploy the free tier, play around with it, understand it, break it understand how to read the logs, all these different things. And then move want to the next service and figure that out. And like we said earlier, really practice deploying two instances, coupled containers, automate the process and then continue adding complexity to it and maybe break it, unplug something and see if you can figure yeah. out how to get it back together via the logs. These type of things yeah. is always quite interesting. And there's always, always more content to learn. Never done learning cloud because you see Amazon yeah. delivers like Thousand new services a year, or something like yeah, this.
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was just going to talk about that because one of the things that we all have to realize in our careers is that we can't learn it all. A developer can't know every language as well as the other languages because a lot of times it's not just about learning the language; it's about learning the ecosystem. So, you know, you can't learn the ecosystem of every tool. You might be able to hash together "Hello World" in most programming languages if you're skilled enough, but you don't know the ecosystem, which is just as important. So the same way with DevOps, right? Like you may just have to decide that, you know, it's gonna be years before I, I learn a second cloud. That's okay. If you're new in your career, yep. you just learn one tool for each position. So one one Kubernetes distribution, learn Docker, learn one cloud, learn one automation tool, pick. And if you're already in a company, pick the tools that they're using. Obviously those tools are gonna to help exactly. you in your career there. If you're looking for a job, just realize that you're going to you're gonna want a niche on something. So mm-hmm. in every team, again, unless you're solo DevOps, in every team, you're gonna have that person that's like the AWS person that knows all the stuff. And I was actually gonna mention our friend, we both have this friend, Nigel Poulton. You've probably heard of him. He
1: tweeted this recently, and it's brilliant, it's perfect for this question because hey, he wrote the book on Kubernetes, right? He yeah. wrote how to be up and running Kubernetes. And he just recently tweeted, he's like, oh, man, I forgot how to do something. And I was linked back to my book. <laughs> you
0: you you to
1: know? <laughs> he's like, I wrote the book on how to do it. And I completely forgot how to do it, you know. so it
0: Happens all the time. My, yeah, my, he's a my great guy. Example, he's, yeah, he's a great guy. And And so we're looking at his page. So this is on a cloud guru, which is a training platform. And he hosts, I'm not sure if it's uh, monthly anymore, but it used to be called Kubernetes This Month. But if you're wanting to stay up on Kubernetes, check out that page, did I I put the link in there yet? I don't think I put it in there yet. There's also things like AWS This Month. So if you're someone, there's a point in your when you get a job, you're going to be the person in that team that's sort of responsible for certain parts. You're not gonna be responsible for everything, hopefully, in the world of software from beginning to end. And so you just have to accept that you're not going to be, you're not going to know all things and you're not going to be able to do all the things. So like maybe you're the AWS person and you just happen to stay up to date on maybe some of the new stuff coming out. I'm a lot of teams. I am sometimes that person, but I maybe know 10 or 15 of the services, not all hundred or whatever there are. Right. So it's okay. It's just more important that you know how to find out, right. That you are familiar enough that you know where to go and, find the news, find the blog, do the research. So that when an opportunity is like, hey, can we do this on AWS? You can be the person in the team that everyone comes to. To be that person, to be the resource, that's a valuable thing you wanna be. So maybe you decide you're gonna be the Docker person. So you're gonna really learn Docker and you're maybe gonna pick like two or three pillars. So maybe you pick, I'm I'm not even gonna be a cloud super guru. I'm just gonna pick Docker. Maybe I'll learn Terraform really good and then maybe I'll learn GitHub Actions or something. And I'll have two or three pillars of, these are my core skills. Anyway, that's a way to maybe not feel so pressured that you have to know hundreds or dozens of tools all at once. Because un- we all understand there's a limit to how many things we can all know at the same time. So okay, one the things
1: It's Yeah, I mean, every journey starts with the first step. You have to take the initial step and start learning. It's, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I'll throw all the crazy puns out there, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time to learn it, digest it, really get to know it. And I can only encourage you to continue learning because that's the yeah. best way you'll you evolve your skills, your career, everything. You just have to continue, continue, continue learning.
0: Yeah. So I guess the short answer to the size question is are certifications mandatory? No, but they always help. Like yes. I I was very certification heavy in the first half of my career. I think once I got over 30, I kind of just flaked out and stopped certifying because one, no one was asking me anymore for the certifications. Once you get enough experience. And two, I I felt like the way that I learn a tool isn't by taking a certification. Maybe some people, maybe that's you. Maybe you love to read books, watch videos, and then take a cert. For me, the only time I'm willing to learn a tool is when I have to use it. So I don't mm-hmm. make up reasons to use a tool. I find a reason to use the tool. A lot of people ask about these starter projects. My, my attitude is always, run your own blog. Like there's tons of ways right now to run a blog, but force yourself to run something that you care about. Maybe it's a blog, maybe it's a Bitcoin miner, maybe it's a Minecraft server, maybe whatever it is, right? Maybe it's a family photo app. That used to be a big thing, right? Back 20 years ago, we would make photo album storage websites with like Smug Mug yeah. or whatever these things are. A smug SmugMug, um, holy oh shit. So yeah, so we would host it. So force yourself to learn these tools to host something of your own on the internet even if, if it's a sample app, fine. But I find that it's if it's something you care about, you're going to get more into the tools. You're going to be more excited about using the tools. So I don't know. That's just me. I'm very, really bad at learning a tool for the sake of just learning a tool, right? Like I've never learned, I have not learned Pulumi yet because I haven't had a strong need for it and I don't have time. To, mostly it's most, I don't have time, But but Terraform does what I need yeah. it to do. So I keep using Terraform. And there and there's someone else on my team will probably pick that up and pick up you know and learn that because they're excited about that tool maybe they don't know terraform and they just want to learn a new hot thing a cloud
1: guru ahead. if you want to go amazon route a cloud guru's course on just aws certification even if you're not going for the certification the course is really great i must admit because the it's probably for all a cloud guru courses i don't know but definitely for amazon it makes you walk through the course using actually Amazon. So it says use the free tier, deploy the thing, whatever it is. And you're actually always using Amazon as a tool. Cause I've used other courses and there's like a simulator and it's never the real product. And if you can find courses where actually doing or using the tool, it helps so much more. It's really beneficial to find the courses that can help you learn it
0: by doing. Yeah. I haven't taken these, so that's cool. And there's multiple options here, right? So. Yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, you could choose software. also your path and different things, but it's really quite nice because you're actually using the product, which is nice.
0: Yeah, that's cool. Does, all right, does anyone have a deployment checklist that they don't mind sharing? I'm not sure what that deployment checklist would be, but if you're thinking about what steps do I need between my software and the server, I might have something that might help you. All When we did the Docker all hands this year, selfish plug on this little thing, I have a repo that what I did was I focused on giving you the sort of essential steps for taking your software, building the images, testing it, various forms of testing, scanning it for vulnerabilities, storing it in a registry, and then I kind of leave out the CD part, the deployment to Kubernetes because it was a more Docker focused talk. But that's something that you might look at if you're someone who's brand new to trying to figure out and automate your pipelines for for stuff. There's another question in here. This is actually a pretty good one. We all start with a simple and reliable CI CD, but it becomes complex and not so reliable because of different additions. Any suggestion on how to keep it simple, even in large production environments?
1: It comes back to observability. I mean, <laughs> You really need to really you know measure change measure and sometimes you'll make a change to your pipeline and it makes it more complex slower or whatever and that's something you really need to look into is like how what changes are being impacted what performance implications does it have and any project you have starts getting bloat and you really need to start looking at it with a a higher level and consider okay all the changes going forward, do we really need them? What strategy do we need to start consolidating or remove things? And it really becomes where the seniors come in and really can help out and like kind of guide you with this uh, topic. Because I see lots of projects, I'm sure you as well, Brett, where people just keep adding, 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 and then eventually it becomes this bloated monster.
0: Well, and this is very similar, like automation systems can be similar in their sort of their uh, scope creep and eventual the juggernaut that they become is very similar to just software engineering in general. Like most monoliths don't start out as monoliths. They start out as small things that keep growing and growing and growing. And then eventually teams to learn to break a chunk off because it's easier to make that separate for various Mm -hmm. reasons. I would argue that the same thing is true of automation. For example, Argo CD. So I'm just gonna use this quick example. And then we're gonna move on to the next question because I I wanna get through all these. Argo CD is a tool that allows you to deploy to Kubernetes, but it does it from the aspect of... It's inside Kubernetes itself, so it can be more intelligent about what happens when you fail, what happens if you want to change the way you deploy this, what happens if you only change certain attributes versus other attributes, how do you monitor and view what's happening in that deployment, and what happens if you got to roll back? Like, There's all these things that Argo does internally that we might have traditionally, especially if you're in Jenkins, if you're someone who is in Jenkins or in that world where traditionally you were using lots of scripts and lots of command line tools and doing that stuff to manually deploy stuff. Well, we've got these better tools now to take the work off of you building your own homegrown deployment solution. So enter GitOps and tools like Argo and Flux. They're designed to do the sort of industry accepted best practice way now of getting your apps into Kubernetes. And they're kind of Kubernetes focused, but that's just one example of traditionally things that we would normally do and before we had Kubernetes and containers, I was man, I had a team managing Jenkins jobs that were building the servers on AWS, installing all the software with a- Ansible or CloudFormation. And then we would install our latest version of our app. And then every time a new app was updated, another Jenkins job would get clone the app into the server. Like there was, and it was all in Jenkins. And that's where mm-hmm. I, you can step back a little bit and you can say, there's better tools for this now. We're going to take this job out of this sort of generic automation platform. We're going to put it where it belongs in a more, a focused tool that does that. We also used to have huge scripts that Docker files replaced. So just by the act of using Docker, you're simplifying a lot of your CI automation because it's all just in the Docker file instead of all these manual things you have to do. I used to, again, that same team, we had a ton of scripts just to deploy on CentOS, the app, and then that was for on-prem and then when it was, the app was run in the cloud, it was run, you know, we had different set of scripts that would run on Ubuntu or something else, right? Like we, and it was very OS specific. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what the Docker file does for us is it really simplifies that. So I would say, I would, if it was me and you hired me to come in, I'd look at your platform of automation and I'd try to find niche tools to take a chunk out and say, you don't need to do that in CI anymore. Like, you, you know, that can be moved somewhere else in an easier tool, maybe. So anyway, I don't know if that's a helpful tip or not. Yeah. But.
1: I mean- Going back to that again. I mean, I'm calling out my great friend, Marcel and he, we were working together once and he wrote like, I don't know, a couple pages worth of code. And I look over his shoulder. I'm like, why don't you just turn that feature flag on? And that does the same thing. I mean, you could just see the color run out of them. I mean, also this, you know, sometimes it's like this pair programming or four I principle, it definitely helps. People just challenging you and asking you, Hey, maybe there's a different way. There's an easier way, or there's a feature that in the software we're using, you just turn it on, and you only have to program anything. I've, like I said, yeah. Marcel, I'm still calling you out. There's four <laughs> pages of, <laughs> four pages of code he wrote. And, but it's exactly this. I mean, we really need to like challenge ourselves, look at the code and have other people look at it because once in a while, another set of eyes really helps.
0: Yeah. Question. Can you recommend a good place to start learning observability, any particular tools or good examples and tutorials?
1: Yes. I'm going to jump in that one, Brett, because DockerCon, back when we were actually doing it in person, I did the DockerCon workshop track and I did the monitoring and logging track. So I actually did the workshop. So there's like a $500 course that you had to pay for. And the whole thing is on GitHub for free. And it walks you through like setting up uh you know, a uh, Docker Prometheus, Grafana stack, gets you deploying that, then it gets you deploying an elk stack and understanding all the logging and dashboarding and things like that. So it's all in there. I can drop that. So we'll get you that link. It's the logging and monitoring workshop. So yeah, walks so this you through is about anything.
0: observability getting started, right? This is like with containers. Containers don't really they, change, but the, there are tools that help you like we do have modern tools i guess i i don't want i don't want everyone to think that they have to completely throw out all their existing tools just to do observability but
1: it's exactly i mean it's great to understand the concepts of observability logging monitoring really get intimate with the topic before you go out and buy a SaaS, right because then you know how it works or what to expect and why they charge what they charge yeah so it's really a, a good starting place before you up you go out and buy a SaaS or really start with the project really understand the basics of the logging and monitoring of containers. All
0: right, I agree. And we could talk about this for another three hours, but we're gonna have to wrap it up. Brian, thank you so much for being here. If you didn't get the intro, by day, he's a big wig at Casino, no big deal. We talked about that a little bit, but at night, he's also... Doing a lot of other stuff, so you can check him out. He's on Twitter. He's got a great GitHub with lots of examples. He's a Docker captain, so of course he's going to have lots of examples. And then he's also got the Byte, which is a it's both courses and an advisory DevOps accelerator kind of thing. So check that out. Links are all in the show notes below. There's also a coupon, so you can get his, some of his courses and stuff at a discount. So I, if I, for example, if I was going to learn traffic better for how to use it in with containers, I would take his traffic course because I don't have one and <laughs> I haven't made one. And uh, we're both in the traffic hey. community. So we like that that tool. So that's just one example. But Brian's done lots of things over the years. I'm sure you could find a bunch of his stuff all over the internet. And probably GitHub is a good place to start. But thanks again, dude, for being on the show. Absolutely, it was great. We're, good. we're gonna do this again someday.
1: The next time I have to come to Virginia. Mm. Okay. Yes.
0: okay. Yep. do well, it in person, need- right? yeah maybe the next kubecon is going to be on the east coast who knows i don't know if they've announced what yeah. well, they'll probably announce the next one but if it's on the east coast maybe i can get some friends to come out because yeah we got a lot of we got a lot of people on the east coast that are in this community so it would be fun to hang out all right everyone thanks so much for listening and i'll see you in the next episode